Nicely done, beef. No matter how you're cooked. Grilled, sautéed, stir-fried, roasted, or stewed. Your savory sounds are music to everyone's ears. Yeah, now that's a dinner playlist. Good cooking at Beef. It's what's for dinner.com. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. Well, it's Friday once again, and we are in downtown Starville in the Farm Bureau studios. I'm Charlie Winfield, Bart Gregory. We are here again for our Tracks Plus Deep Dig on a Another Starkville Friday afternoon headed into a ball game weekend. This time, Bulldogs on the road hoping to fare a little bit better than they did last weekend when Alabama was in town. Now, Bart, the town, you know, there was a lot of people here. It was fun. Yeah, it was good. Everything Until. except except the game. And, well, except the second half. I thought we played okay. I, I go back to the point and going to beat that dead horse. We, we played okay in the first half. Second half, not so much. But, hey, Charlie, you know, looking – when we looked at the schedule before the season started, we said, hey, coming off a break, probably got the best team in the SEC, and then you probably got the worst team in the SEC. You could not have drawn it up any better than to play. The only guess the only way to draw it up any better after playing Alabama would be to play Vanderbilt at home. We did that last year. We barely won against Vanderbilt last year. This year should be a different story. Well, it certainly should be if it's not. We'll see you next Wednesday on out of left field. Are we going to even come in here on Sunday if we lose? If we, we have to, don't we? I don't know if we do or not. I don't think there's anything we could possibly say after losing to this bunch on Sunday. Nothing positive can come out of Sunday. I'm just saying that right now. If we have to come in here on Sunday following a loss. And I'll be honest with you, even a close win, a 24-17. I'm not one to complain about wins. Yeah, I'll complain about it. Okay, so – Let's look at Vanderbilt real quick. Here's my opening statement. If you look at their season, this is all you've got to know. They lost their season opener against East Tennessee State 23-3. That's really all you got to know. FBS opponent, they won at Colorado State in week two. Boy, the Rams must. That must be wretched out in Fort Collins this year. They lost against Stanford, not Samford. They lost against Stanford in Nashville 41-23. They had the same amount of yards as Georgia had points. Georgia won 62 to nothing. They had to kick a field goal to beat a team that doesn't even have a conference, and that's UConn, that pretty much just gave up on football. They lost to Dan 42 to nothing. They couldn't score on Ty Grantham's defense, all right? And then you look last week, they lost in the final seconds to a wretched South Carolina team. And I like Shane. Shane Beamer is a good friend. But they lost 21-20, to made up ways to lose. So this is a team coming in at 2-5, and 0-3 in the SEC. And their conference games against Florida and Georgia have been, Charlie, 104 to nothing. Nothing. And then last week they were able to put together, you know, a couple big plays and uh, lost 21-20. to This is not a good football team. And we're going to talk about that here in our deep dig. You don't want to hear their stats. I really don't want to hear their stats. At the end of the day, they're not very good. But you know what we're going to do in our deep dig? We're going to tell you just how bad they are and back it up with stats. Well, that's your opening statement of this ball game. We'll get to my opening statement in just a moment before we do remind you that this is our Tracks Plus deep dig. And, you know, I didn't know a lot about forestry equipment, moving dirt or anything else. But one thing I've been able to do over the past 
couple of months is to learn a little bit more about Tracks Plus and what they do. And what you see is in forestry and mulching and construction equipment, I mean, these are your guys. They do it new. They do it used. But if you want the Barco equipment, the Bandit, the Saney, all those things, whether you want it new, whether you want it used, these are your guys. You can go over to Columbus. You can go down to Hickory. That's their main location. Hit uh, Summit. You can visit them there. And you can find them down in Louisiana. But here's the thing I know. These are some good guys, and they stand behind their stuff. I was blown away talking to Chris Weems because uh, I was playing just a thousand questions with him. What if this? What if that? What if I'm doing this? Here's what I know. They sell products, but they stand behind them. If you've got problems, they're out there to get them fixed. They're out there to keep you going. So if you're in the forestry business, if you're in the business of moving dirt around, these are your guys. Yep, Daniel Bounds in Columbus, Fred Fulton in Columbus, King Crosby down in Hickory. That's our main hub. If you're down in Summit, Gresh Howell, then the Hoop Weems over in Alexandria, Louisiana. Really good guys at Tracks Plus. So we thank them for being along with us. I'll take my opening statement now. And, look, sometimes we think we aren't great. If that's what you think, I understand. But let me present to you the Commodores of Vanderbilt. You think our offense doesn't score enough at 24 points a game? They score 10 fewer. You think we give up too many points at 29? They give up 34. You don't like how we block at times? This team ranks 102nd out of 130 teams in Division I football and run blocking, and they make up for that by being 119 out of 130 in pass blocking. As you mentioned a second ago, Bart, 104 points in the only two SEC games they've played against teams that weren't named South Carolina and they lost that big game against Eastern Tennessee, an instant classic. Look, Vanderbilt is not just a dog. They're a dog with fleas. But enough about bad football. This isn't about them. This isn't about what they do. This game's about us. Yes. We're not a bad football team, but we play one on TV occasionally. And this isn't the week we can do that. Now, let me when I say that, we can be bad, and we can still win this game. We could be bad and still win this game handily. But it's more than about Vanderbilt. It's more than about winning. It's about setting a foundation for the second half of this football season. Charlie, we said before the first game of the year against Louisiana Tech, it was about us. And we almost played ourselves out of it. But we had the ability to get back in it and come back and win that game, especially in the fourth quarter. We said the same thing against Memphis of – this is not going to be about Memphis. This is going to be about us. Now, at the end of the day, we had some bad calls in there that kind of helped Memphis out a little bit in the second half. We were still down two scores late in that game, but it was more about us. This game is really about us. And let me tell you this. I would rather play Vanderbilt than either Louisiana Tech or Memphis. Oh, look, if you're looking to win, that's certainly the case. But I'll say this. The competition is not great tomorrow, but the stakes are. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've got a layup, but if you blow it, it's bad. I've seen everything the rest of the year. I've seen a lot of missed layups. I've seen a lot of missed layups. But here's what I want to see tomorrow. I want to see a score. I want to see a score some more. Call timeout, onside kick, score again, and don't apologize for it. These are the guys that were dancing on the dugouts, taunting our national championship baseball team. I want the ball to go across the goal line early and often, Without mercy and without remorse. And go for two in the fourth quarter because they won't let you go for three. Dogs by 40. That's what I'm looking for. All right, so looking at our numbers this week, 3-2-1 segment on our Tracks Plus Deep Dig, I understand and I, hey, wholeheartedly agree with your opening statement. 
this is about us. If there is something about Vanderbilt, my first number is 40. Well, you want to tell us who this segment's about? So you're trying to drive again. You notice that? And you I, are not content to sit in the passenger seat at all, are you? I'm not. I'm, I'm, do, I am the passenger. Do you do this to your wife? Do you fight about who gets to drive? No, because she always wins because I am the passenger driver. Okay. And I apologize. All this right. is your this is your cockpit. Yeah, so hand me the steering wheel back. Okay, sorry. All right, we are now, as Bart has correctly forecast in our 3-2-1 segment, and this 3-2-1 segment is brought to you by our friends at Farm Bureau. We are in our Farm Bureau studios, as we have mentioned. We talked about customer service with our friends down at Tracks Plus. I, I think that's really a theme that unifies all our sponsors. These are guys who are great to work with, great to deal with. Farm Bureau, they have agents in all 82 counties. And the thing about insurance, you can shop rates, and you can do that at favorites.com. You'll be happy when you do that. But the other thing you better ask, ask the questions about service. Farm Bureau, always timely, always responsive, and they've always got your back when you need them. So, Bart, now I will hand you the steering wheel. I will, I'll flip the switch, and you can, you can take the wheel. Okay, so Ken Seals, who is their typical starting quarterback, their everyday guy, hurt his finger against Florida a couple weeks ago, did not start in the game, did not play in the game against South Carolina last week. Clark Lee, their head coach, comes out earlier this week and says the dogs are going to get Mike Wright again. So Mike Wright was a quarterback for against South Carolina last week. We get Mike Wright. Here's the thing, looking at Mike Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. We have to hold Mike Wright to 40 yards rushing. So my first number is 40. The thing he did last week, he rushed for 55 yards against South Carolina, and it was his first start. So South Carolina may not have known what's coming. We kind of know what's coming this week. He's a guy who really has tough time throwing the football. But what he can do is he can scramble. He had to scramble last week four times, 32 yards on scrambles. 23 yards on design runs. They will run him on a quarterback draw. He had two runs over 10 yards. We talk about throwing the ball. He was only 11 of 21 last week throwing the football. Had 14 pressures, five with the blitz, nine without the blitz. So Vanderbilt is not a team that blocks it extremely well. You mentioned them not having a very good offensive line. They masked that with very bad wide receivers as well. They only used play action six times in a game. But he's a guy that has quick, happy feet. He does not like pressure like anybody else. But what do quarterbacks who are not used to starting, what do they do, Charlie? They hit the eject button. Very, get out and run in a hurry. They get out and run, especially if you can run. He is going to try to run the ball very quickly if we get pressure on him. And we should get pressure on him with this offensive line. So 40 is my first number. Take away the sacks. I'm not counting any kind of sacks. If we have five sacks minus 23 yards. No, no. I'm talking about 40 rushing yards in the game. He cannot go over 40. I like, by the way, that the stats work in the NFL. The sack yardage doesn't count against a quarterback's rushing yards. It basically counts against team passing but not quarterback passing. Right, and it kind of gets hidden in the numbers a little bit, but it doesn't doesn't penalize a quarterback who can run the football because he got sacked. I kind of like that. I do too. I kind of like that too. So that was your first number. That's forty, and what's your second? My second number, and I'm not going to dwell on this a whole lot. My second number, seventeen, needs to be seventeen. Think about seventeen, needs to be the SEC losing streak for Vanderbilt when we leave Nashville at seven o'clock on Saturday. Woof. Seventeen. Sooner or later, they're going to win a football game. 
it better not be this weekend. And listen, here's the thing. This is not a stick. We're not coming in here mad because they danced on the dugout and we're talking bad about Vanderbilt. No, 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 no. This is a situation where you can't lose this football game. This is a team whose depth chart lists name, number, position, and major. We can't lose this weekend. It has to be a losing streak of 17. So that's it. Point blank period, 17. I'm going to quickly go to my third number, and it's seven. Mississippi State right now is 101st nationally with 24 pass plays over 20 yards. We talked about this the other day about how we give up big plays, but we've had the difficulties of getting the big plays. And I know what you're going to say is, hey, six games deep in the season, you probably are what you are. But at the end of the day, too, we're playing a a Vanderbilt team, and we said early in the season, Charlie, my number before the season started was we needed 50 plays this year over 20 yards. And last year by stats, that would put you in the mid-range of the SEC. This year, teams are having more big plays. We have 24 pass plays over 20 yards this year, only one rush over 20 yards. We got to have seven plays this week, seven plays over 20 yards. We got to have some explosiveness against Vanderbilt. I know they're going to sit back a little bit, but at the end of the day, and they rushed three, sat back with eight, and it made their four fans mad last weekend because they let South Carolina go up and down the field when they were dropping eight and rushing three. They're going to do that a lot this week with their defensive coordinator. Talk about him in just a minute. But we need seven plays over 20 yards. So that's my numbers. 40 rushing yards for the quarterback, Mike Wright. 17, that's what the losing streak had better be when we leave Nashville. And then we need seven plays over 20 yards. And seven's not asking a That ain't asking a lot. That's not asking a lot. We run 80 plays a game. We're asking for seven. We're asking for 9%. I think not only is it doable, I think you can kind of underline that one. It's not doable. It's shittable. Yeah, it's shittable. Uh, so let's take a, a look at my three numbers then. Five is my first number. That's the number of three and outs that I think Vanderbilt needs to have on offense this weekend. So I need our defense to force at least five. And you say, well, that seems like a lot. 19 times in three SEC games this season, Vanderbilt has run three or fewer plays on offense. So we're not even asking to get at their average. Basically what I'm saying is give me five. One under what their average would be but better than we typically do defensively. This is a ball game where your defense better come out, dominate early. You're not going to see anything special. You got a guy starting at quarterback who wasn't intended to be their starter two weeks ago. You got a guy starting at running back who last year, I think, had 19 yards on 13 carries against us. This is not a potent offense. Any number you want to look at on Vanderbilt, they're in the bottom couple in the league. This is one where you've got to have a big play, a big performance from your defense, so I want to see five. The second number I have is two. I think that's the number of quarterbacks wearing a Mississippi State jersey we'll see play this weekend. Okay, really? All right. Two guys. So let me ask you this question. When do you want to see that second quarterback? Late second quarter. Because last week, let me ask you this. If you're going to see two quarterbacks this week, why would you not have seen two quarterbacks last week? When you start looking at the fourth quarter, you're down 49 to 9 in that ball game. Will's definitely hurt. He's not feeling 100%. Is it a situation of you don't want to put Lovertich in against Alabama? You don't want to do to him what we had to do to Will Rogers last year? Buried in my analysis is a hint of criticism, Bart. I think you should have seen two last week. Okay. And I don't think we're going to be wrong two weeks in a row. 
I have no inside information. I have no idea whether Will Rogers will play Saturday or not. And I would submit to you that most people who say they know really don't. Here's the thing. He either will or he won't. So if you guess one, you've got about a 50% chance to be right. I don't know why, but I think he will play. And what I want to see is a big performance. I said late second quarter. I'll give it the third. But if we get up like we should in this ball game, I want to see Lovertich in the ball game. We got a big game in two weeks. I don't want to damage our chances this weekend. So two is the number of quarterbacks that I think we see play. Hey, I'm fine with that. Kind of need to see somebody else. Because if he has any kind of injury whatsoever, I mean, you're asking a guy to go out there and throw a lot of passes. And we asked him to do it last week because that injury happened early. So you're asking him to throw a lot of balls with an injury. That's my number, so 5-2. And then my final was one. I want to see at least one fumble recovery. You know, yeah. we have fumbled the ball this year five times, and we've lost all five. Our opponents have fumbled eight. We've only recovered two, and we haven't recovered a fumble since the NC State game. Vanderbilt is a team who likes to fumble. They've fumbled it ten times so far. Wright himself, Mike Wright, starting quarterback, fumbled it three times last week. Didn't lose any, but he's willing to drop the ball. If our defense plays the way it should, you know, I love interceptions, but now and then you just need to hit somebody hard enough, put the hat on the football, and knock some loose. Ball security has been an issue for Vanderbilt. Exploit it. Get a fumble recovery. You know, I made a point in my mind against Texas A&M that if they had come back and won that game, they had a couple times where they fumbled, and it came right back to them. One was Calzada. The other, I think, was Spiller. Well, they just dropped the ball, and – it just bounced right back to him. Yeah, we hadn't had a fumble recovery in a long time. I, I was, I hadn't even thought of that, Charlie. It's been a while. Yeah, NC State, second game of the season. Yeah, I'd, I'd take a fumble recovery. Yeah, so your numbers again? My numbers were 40 with the number of rushing yards for the quarterback, 17 on that losing streak, and then we need seven plays over 20 yards. And mine, five, the number of Vanderbilt three and outs. Two, the number of quarterbacks I think we see play in one at least one fumble recovery. So that's a look at our three numbers. Now a time to take a look at our two opposing players. Who'd you focus on this week? Well, this week for me is Will Shepard. He's a wide receiver, 6'3", 200 from Mandeville, Louisiana. And he was a guy that was targeted the first week against East Tennessee State 17 times. He made nine catches that week. He has seen his targets go down. Last week against South Carolina, They only threw to him six times. He caught three of those balls. He's only caught 51% of the passes that have been thrown his way this year. But the thing he did against South Carolina last week is he broke plays. He had two big plays for Vanderbilt last week. He went 50 yards, broke a tackle, had a 52-yard touchdown catch, which Shepard broke a tackle before taking the ball to the end zone. I mean, if they have a guy that they're going to try to throw on you a little bit, when he made a big play last week, it's almost like, boom, we need to get him the football more. I would look for Vanderbilt to try to get the ball in the hands of Will Shepard more in this game tomorrow. When you look at the season, as we said, 34 catches, 453 yards, 13 yards per catch. When you start looking at average depth of target at 10 yards, it's the 10-yard average depth of target. Last week was big at 16 because he had that big touchdown catch, and it was kind of over the top a little bit. But look for Vanderbilt to go to Will Shepard in this game. My other player is Nate Clifton, defensive end for Vanderbilt, 6'5", 280. And here's the thing about Clifton. They line him up just about anywhere. 
He's going to be primarily the right defensive end. But the thing they did last week against South Carolina is they moved him even more. He only had 17 plays. Now, early in the season, he was getting primarily all of his snaps outside the tackle. But they moved him over the tackle 19 times last week and inside the tackle 14 times. So he was inside the tackle just as much as he was outside the tackle last week. So they moved him around to try to get pressure. He's got 27 tackles on the season, one of their top tacklers on the year. He wears number 90. So he's the guy. He's kind of the ball hawk for him up front. So how we block with our offensive line, especially against number 90, that's going to be a big key in the ballgame tomorrow. So my two players to watch, number 14, Will Shepard on offense, and number 90, Nate Clifton on the defensive side. All right, my first player is going to be the running back, number 24, Rocco Griffin. Griffin's a bowling ball type guy, five foot nine, 203 pounds. He's a sophomore, but he played very little last year. Only had 37 carries for less than 100 yards, averaged only two and a half yards a carry a year ago. He's out of Georgia. Another small school guy is a reasonably athletic guy, but he hasn't done much here at Vanderbilt. 82 carries this year, 284 yards. Of those 284, 70 came on two plays. You peel those away, and this is a guy averaging about two and a half yards a carry. This is not exactly a power running game that you're going to see from Vanderbilt. He's not terribly elusive. He's not terribly fast. But the one thing the guy tends to do is just kind of take a beating and keep going. And so you wonder, if you're trying to play ball control tomorrow, are we going to see Rocco Griffin get a lot of carries? And I would submit to you that if we do, that's a good thing. Last year, 13 carries for 19 yards against this Mississippi State defense. He's a year older, but I don't know if he's a year better. So keep an eye, though, on number 24, Rocco Griffin. You know, so much about the run game is about what your defensive line does. Do they have to double-team your defensive line, or can they release and go to your linebackers? If our linebackers can get to him without alignment in their face, I think this whole game, running the football with him throwing the football right – is what kind of pressure in the run game and the pass game can your front three get in this game tomorrow? Randy Charlton is going to be a big key in this game tomorrow. You have to get push up front. And Charlton hasn't always been there. I mean, he's had some good games, then he kind of gets lost now and then. Cameron Young needs a big game. Jaden Crumbody needs a big game. You start talking about these guys along the front. It's not just Charlton. We need a big game from Cameron Young and Crumbody tomorrow too. Nathan Pickering needs a big game. And boy, does he have potential. Well, and that's the thing. Ultimately, those are names we need to be talking about positively on the postgame show. So Rocco Griffin was my first guy. My second guy, kind of an easy pick. I'm going to go with the quarterback, Mike Wright. He's another sophomore out of Georgia. 6'4", 190. He's athletic. He's got some skills. But when I see Bart, I just think a guy who is very raw, which is to be expected. This will be the second start he's ever made. And he doesn't like pressure. You talked about this earlier. When he was pressured this season, he's 5 of 15 passing the football. He is not a great passer in any situation. He's even worse when he's under pressure. I wonder, though, if it's not a situation with Wright where we don't see them just throw caution to the wind a little bit now and then and wind up and throw it deep and see what happens. He's 3 of 5 on deep balls. It's about 11% of his passes. 
and he's got a, a touchdown in that range. So who knows, maybe we see Wright just kind of wind up and throw it deep. He's two for 12 in that area between 10 and 20 yards downfield. You talk about the big touchdown pass going down the middle of the field. That was last week. And, of course, like I said, he has not thrown the ball a whole lot because this is only his second start. But the passes he completes, eight of his completions have come behind the line of scrimmage. Another nine have come from zero to ten yards. So all of his completions have been short passes. And I go back to the point. Last week we talked about Bryce Young in that area between 10 and 20 yards down the field and in between the numbers about how much he has graded, what, 84% passing over the middle when you take out the drops. Mike Wright in that same area this year is one for seven. Yeah, and in fact, in that whole 10 to 20 range, he is just two of 12 yep. on the season. So that's a look at our two players and now our one opposing coach piece. I'll let you go first. All right, I'm going to go with David Rye, R-A-I-H. I don't know what he coaches. Well, I, let me tell you this. I was actually going to go with this whole story, but I'll let you take it away. And if I want to have a comment, can I jump in there? Has my permission ever been required? Okay. So, David Rye, common to a lot of these guys, the coaching on Vanderbilt, he's been in the NFL. Seven years in the National Football League. One interesting thing for Mississippi State fans, he has been with Cliff Kingsbury. Spent some time coaching with him at Texas Tech then in the NFL, and that's where he was back in 2019-2020 with the Arizona Cardinals. He came to Vanderbilt presumptively as an offensive coordinator. But he got fired by Cliff Kingsbury, too, after two years. And so I don't know what he does. All right, so he comes to Vanderbilt as an offensive coordinator, and now when you look at the list, though, it kind of puts the emphasis on wide receivers, Coach. Well, so here's – okay, have, have you read into this? I re- actually read the story about this. All yeah, right? so they – and I'll let you tell it, but they take away his play-calling duties before the season even gets started. And so I go back to Clark Lee in his first year. He's a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. He was a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. So they make that hire. It's a splash hire. We're going to come in. We're going to reset it. We're going to have a good defense and hire this great offensive system, great offensive coordinator. You talked about David Rye. Comes in as the OC. He is quoted back in March of, hey, the offense has come along fine. We're going to implement 70% of the playbook by April. They go through the entire summer, and then in the first week of preseason camp, they strip him of the play-calling duties and give it to Joey Lynch, the passing game coordinator. So David Rye was the quarterback at Iowa about 20 years ago. Okay, Both these guys are about the same age. Joey Lynch was a quarterback at Ball State. So then, so now Joey Lynch for the entire season has called the plays, even though David Rye was hired as the offensive coordinator. So what does here, that tell you about this staff? That's what I'm going to. It's Man, just you talk complete about dysfunction. Dysfunction. So here's my question to you, Charlie. If David Rye is putting in 70% of the playbook back in April, and then Joey Lynch is now calling the plays, whose playbook is it? Did Clark well, Lee? Because we know it's not Clark Lee's. Or did he just bring it with him and say, hey, all right, boys, here's the playbook? What I mean, what do you doesn't, They don't look like a Notre Dame offense. No, they don't. And so it's got to come from somebody. And on the same stretch, they don't look like Arizona Cardinals either. Of course, with Vanderbilt, I can't tell what they look like because they usually can't get a playoff in an organized fashion. Could you imagine a defensive guy at any other school taking a head job in his first year? We're not talking about this is year four, okay? 
his first year, and then you go through spring practice with an offensive coordinator who presumably you would think that's his playbook, and then you change – could you imagine that happening at Georgia with Kirby Smart? Could you imagine that happening with LSU? Yeah, I could. But, I mean <laughs> – Yeah. You, you really well, but no, it's, look, it's a bigger story. This is not even a story that's been talked about. Well, look, I sat here for four years wishing we would change offensive coordinators when Sylvester Croom had his playbook, and we so never would. I go this back to guy, the – Well, hey, give him credit. He's decisive. So, anyway, anyway, my coach was David Rye, who is like a lot of these guys, uh, NFL guy. And you can – here's the thing, too. You start looking at these guys. They'll give you all these reasons why they're good coaches – but what do we know about wide receiver coaches in the NFL? Not very much, right? Is that fair to say? Those are the guys that during timeouts in the third quarter, when everybody else is scheming, they're walking into the press box because they got a free hot dog back there. I mean, I'm like, I'm serious. Here's what I love about Rise, Rise Bio. It gives him credit because Larry Fitzgerald moved into second place in the NFL's all-time receptions list. If you for one minute, you know, I can envision being in Arizona with the, remember how we've had conversations with people and it was like the, if you're the young coach coming in with Palmero, don't talk to him about his swing. Yeah. Don't talk to Clark. Just don't coach them. Can you imagine that that conversation is taking place about Larry Fitzgerald? What I wanted to get to with my coach, and that's Jesse Minner, the defensive coordinator. I mean, he, he's credited with all the help of Marlon Humphrey in the NFL. I mean, he came from the Baltimore Ravens, spent the last four years as a Baltimore Ravens. He was a defensive backs coach in 2020 for the Baltimore Ravens. Charlie, you've been around a lot of college programs, and I have too, and it seems like every time a coordinator, it's one thing for a wide receiver coach or a linebacker coach to, to come into a college program, but you see it over and over again. NFL guys coming to college to be a coordinator, and they bring that extensive playbook, and they haven't worked with an 18-year-old kid in seven, eight years. It's the whole um, it's Charlie Weiss deal when he left New England to go to Notre Dame, and he says, we're going to have a schematic advantage against anybody we play. No, no, it doesn't work. And that's what I go back to is when you're hiring coaches, one of the first things you have to ask them is, who are your assistant coaches going to be? And if they tell you a bunch of NFL guys. Boy, that's a scary deal. And the other thing you don't see on this staff, where's the SEC experience? Let me tell you this, Charlie. When I went in here earlier this week, because I knew I had this segment, and I started looking at their coaches, I've been around college sports for 20 years, and I have been in tune to watching other teams. I ain't never heard of any of these guys. I'm talking about ain't heard a peep out of any of these guys. And let me tell you, if you're in the Southeastern Conference, and I don't know who they're wanting to recruit or whatever, but my goodness, man, they ain't got anybody that I have ever heard of. It's phenomenal. But I digress. I couldn't find anybody interesting. Hey, uh, once again, hey, I talked to our good friend Henry Cooper the other day. Here, Charlie, we, we've talked so much. And, Charlie, you and I, and then Matt Wyatt, too, we were some of the first people to ever start talking about country pleasing sauce. And now I'm not going to go into detail about trying the original, the jalapeno cheddar or the pineapple pork or whatever. I have a hard time believing that people that listen to this show and have listened for so long, we have told you just about how good it is. And so I'm just going to say right now, I think most of you with the text and everything that we've gotten have said, hey, I've tried it. I know it. I've, I've gotten it before. Let me tell you this. If you've never done this, if you've never had country-pleasing sausage before, before this weekend, go do it. 
go to your local grocer, get you some original, get jalapeno cheddar, set your oven to 350, put it in there for 14 minutes and 28 seconds, all right? And you pull it out. It's got that snap. It's perfect. Put it on the grill. But let me tell you this. You may say, I have my own sausage that I put on the grill anytime I tailgate. But I can guarantee you this. If you listen to me right now and you go get country pleasing this weekend, you will never get any other kind of sausage again. That's all I'm going to say. Country pleasing. Made right here in the state of Mississippi. And if you're down that way. Bring us some back. Go by the butcher shop, too. Yep. That uh, looks like something I would like to do. All right. So, have we made it? Is it now time for our two brothers two-minute drill bar? I think it is. You know, two brothers right here in the heart of the Cotton District. I think the thing, we, we talked about country pleasing and how they've grown. It has been absolutely amazing what two brothers has done. Because this was a place that not too many people knew about, but the ones who did just loved it. They snuck in the small little spot they had over in the district. It was kind of like you had to have some local knowledge. Well, and I was about to say, the people that used to go to Two Brothers would not tell other people about Two Brothers because they wanted to make sure they had a chance to get in there and get a table. Yeah, and so you kind of always go by and hope you could get in. And So they opened this new place, and it is absolutely phenomenal. The change in that place. Food's good, man. I mean, the food is the same. It, it, it's just as good as it's ever been. Sometimes when people grow, things aren't as good. No, no, no. The food is as good as it's ever been. They've got a great bar scene. They have a great place to hang out. I went by there on my way into the ball game this past weekend, and it was just packed. It was packed riding in before we even started doing the pregame show. So two brothers smoked meats right there in the heart of the Cotton District. It is well worth the visit so bart now it is time for our two minute drill you know the deal you'll blow the whistle and here's the thing charlie we didn't make this shorter because we've been going a little long we get we've been going a little over two minutes yeah we've been going like the two and a half minute drill sometimes a three minute drill so let's be shorter today all right i'm gonna hit the whistle and i'll go first american sports columnist Skip Bayless used to be on first take with Stephen A. Smith on ESPN. He's moved to Fox now. Fox Sports 1, undisputed with Shannon Sharp every day. Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless. And I don't know if this is a good thing. Is a Vanderbilt grad. In 1928, a blind Vanderbilt student brought the first seeing eye dog back to the U.S. and started Seeing Eye, Inc. in Nashville. And, of course, this is obvious. Vanderbilt is the smallest campus in the SEC at 340 acres, and this is no surprise with it being in the middle of Nashville. Texas A&M has the largest campus in the SEC, 5,200 acres. Second place, Mississippi State, 4,200 acres under the Mississippi State umbrella. Cornelius Vanderbilt, he made the endowment from which Vanderbilt started. Wasn't actually a Commodore, but that was his nickname, Vanderbilt, a railroad and shipping magnet. Now, I talked about bad media a minute ago. Let's talk about good media for a second. Buster Olney with ESPN is a graduate of Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's admission percentage is 9.6%. That means their offense is four times more likely to go three and out than you are to be admitted. At Vanderbilt, only 34% of their students hail from the southeast we talked about Coach Rye a minute ago. He's married to Lauren Workus, who starred on the first two seasons of Bravo's Summer House. 
Vanderbilt is in the Southland Bowling League, which is an affiliate of the Southland Conference. They won the national championship in 2015. Maybe Vandy needs to join the Southland and other sports. Al Gore attended Vanderbilt. He went to law school there. He's a famous dropout. Gore once wrote the book, An Inconvenient Truth, to talk about climate change. And Bart, you know, I've been thinking about climate change, and honestly, I kind of think we're being sold a complete... No, I mean, I want to talk through this climate change issue. This is a big... All right, well... um, I am silencing you. I'll uh, share my thoughts on climate change. We don't talk climate change, we don't talk politics, and we don't talk basketball. So, what's your stance on vaccinations, Bart? Hey, we'll be back on Sunday (laughs) for Sunday Coffee. Yeah, we'll be back Sunday morning. We will be here for Sunday Coffee, and I am confident that the dogs are going to win this thing. And if they don't, I may be disassociating from Twitter because although few... The Vanderbilt fans are proud, and they will let us hear about it, no doubt, Bart, should this thing not go our way. That's not going to happen. No. So we'll be back Sunday. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in on our Tracks Plus Deep Dig.